be the church. Thought behind this series is there's lots of things in the Bible that talk about how we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to be different as a result of knowing Christ as our Savior. And there's a key phrase I just used there, as a result not in order to earn our salvation, like a big long list of rules, but because of what God has done, we live differently in this world around us. And that's a wonderful privilege to be used and have God work in our hearts and our lives. We all have hopes and dreams and ambitions. It's the 14th day of 2024. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but did you have any New Year's resolutions? This year, I'm going to stop doing that. On January 1st at 12.01, that was a good. Now I'm going to start doing that. And you said, this is what I'm going to do. And we have hopes and dreams. We have ambitions. We have expectations. And we all go in with the expectation to excel. We want to do well. And the reality is, we are humans. There's a day that was actually on Friday of this week. It's known as, and I mean, Google so showed me this, so it must be true. It's called Quitter's Day. The second Friday of January is commonly known as Quitter's Day. And then there's another day called Ditch New Year's Resolution Day, which is coming up on Wednesday, so something to look forward to. And on the January 17th, is the ditch our resolutions day. And oftentimes that takes place is because we look at things and we go, well, it's hard by myself. It's really, really hard to do this all by myself. But you know, in the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and verse number 6, it says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. What we have here is people that are brand new to their faith. They actually don't know what they don't know. They're learning and growing. And rather than thinking, just do this by yourself and be strong, they're saying, we don't have to do this by ourselves because we're following. We're following the Lord and we're following their, their, their church leaders. And it wasn't a big dictator role by the church leaders. It was saying, come along, let's do this journey. Let's grow together. I'm not a subscriber to Forbes Health magazine, but they had a survey that came out this last week. It talks about what people put their resolutions on. There's a, there's a graph on the screen. I realize you can't read it, uh, but what it talks about is 48%. The number one answer is why people have the New Year's resolution is because they want to improve their fitness. The second one down is they want to improve their finances. And as you go all the way down, they want to improve. And a lot of them have to do with their, our appearance and our bank accounts. And, but at the very end, the, the bottom one, you, you may not be able to read it. It's 3% of people said they wanted to perform better at work. This year, you may have had a resolution. I said, this year, I'm going to do this. And it's already two weeks in. Have you failed already? And I doubt any of you go into life. And we certainly don't go, don't go into our church lives and our family lives. We don't go into marriages and relationships and new jobs going, I just can't wait to fail. Today, this is the day I just can't wait. Today's the day I'm going to fail. It's so exciting. It's the opposite. And we keep things for a short period of time. And there's another graph on the screen that talks about how long people last in their resolutions. And the vast majority of people have totally given up by the third and fourth month. 
only, I think, statistically speaking, I think a lot of people lie on these statistics. 9% of people actually follow through with their resolutions. And be honest with you, I have never, ever followed through with a New Year's resolution that actually had to do with finances or health or anything else. And so therefore, when we think, well, we're going to do this by ourselves, it's easy to give up when we're all by ourselves. No one's going to know. No one's going to call me out on it. Now, as a church family, I believe me, we're not going to walk around with a big stick going, where were you on Sunday? Or why aren't you doing that? But what we are going to do is show you an example of how to live and where we're to go and how we're to live differently and how we, not just as a church family, but also our outside community will live differently. I want to change the phrase from this year I will which is an I statement. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to start doing that. And it's all I, I, I statements. And turn that around to use a different phrase. Rather than I will, we're going to say God is. There's a quote from a man named Henry Blackaby. Henry Blackaby is an 88-year-old man. And a number of years ago, he wrote a book called Experiencing God. And it became a revolutionary book, and it's been personally very, very helpful to me. You can buy it at a local Christian bookstore, and I would encourage you to go through the workbook. And, and we've preached through it. And a lot of the things that you, if you, if, only problem is if you get the book, you're going to find out, oh, Michael stole that from them. <laughs> Henry Blackaby came up with a quote, and it's a, it's a concept that's a biblical concept. It says, recognize where God is working, or the God is statement, not the I will, the God is statement, and join him in that work. One of the most unhelpful things of a creator God to do is to say, I love you, I care for you, I have a plan and purpose for your life, go find it. Now as a parent, that would be neglect. And for a God who's a loving God, who wants an intimate and personal relationship with us, it's disingenuous and it's outside of his character for him to say, go work out life for yourself and I'll see you one day in heaven if you're good enough. That's not what we find at all. It's quite the opposite. God's working, he's bringing us along, saying, let me guide you and mold you and shape you into the person that I've created you to be. In 1 Thessalonians, this is a church that was a very young church. They had only had a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was traveling around with some other men around the Mediterranean, uh, from Israel north into its modern-day Turkey. And then they felt a call to go into an area called Macedonia, which is in modern-day Greece. And they went down into Greece and Athens and, and Corinth and those areas, and then went back around and made a big loop. And it was known as their missionary journey. And they would spend sometimes months, sometimes even a couple of years in these various places, helping people mold and shape. Because you can imagine, you've never heard even the name of Jesus before. So everything they're being taught is fresh and new. And sometimes, like this church in what's Macedonia called Thessalonica, which have we, we have the book in the Bible called Thessalonians, which was written to them as a letter to this young church. They only had the Apostle Paul for three weeks. And in that three weeks, they had heard the, the truth. They had accepted the truth. 
a revival take place in their community. And as a result of that, a riot took place because all the jealous religious leaders go, this is horrible. And the riot took place and they forced Paul and his group out and they continued on. But now they're south in a place called Corinth. And he's writing them a letter and he's telling them some instruction. He's telling them and teaching them truth that they are yet to know. But he's also encouraging them and saying, you have a reputation. Now, sometimes when we hear the word, you have a reputation, we think bad instantly. But he's actually writing it and, and saying, you have such a good reputation. Everywhere I go, people are talking about you. People are talking about you where I don't even have to introduce. They're asking me, what's going on with those people? God's done something miraculous in their lives. So let's read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're only going to read verses 6 through 10 today. I would encourage you, if you're interested, read that entire chapter. In fact, read the entire book. And it will give you an understanding of, of the conversation and how it works. It says this, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What we have so far in this chapter, chapter number one, it's a short chapter, only ten verses. What we've seen is that God had called them, and they had answered the call. They had answered the call of God upon their life. And they had accepted that call and they accepted the plan that God had for them. And then this morning we're talking about the example to God's people. So because they had heard the call of God and they had answered the call and they'd accepted the, the truth, then they began to live differently. In verse number seven, it says, you became an example to all the believers. It started off with they were imitators of their leaders and also of Jesus and now they became an example to other people. They were growing and developing in their maturity. It's an incredible privilege to be used by God to teach and encourage others. I have the wonderful privilege, of course, as being a pastor, and I realize it's my job, but it, if it was just a job, it would be really laborious. I mean, you're wonderful people, but really, it would be laborious. But when it's a calling on your life and realizing that you have the, I, I have the wonderful privilege of sitting down with people and opening up God's word and you get to teach them and, and show them truth out of the Bible. And one of the greatest joys that I have is when the old little light bulb goes off and people understand and they go, now I see it. That is, for me, that's really uplifting and a joy. And to, to be able to guide people along, I consider that a tremendous privilege. But you realize that's not just a pastoral role. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing here, wasn't just to the, the pastor leaders of the church in Thessalonica. He was writing to the entire church. So therefore, every single one of us has the ability to be, in a positive way, influencers. You didn't think you would become influencers today, did you? So what we see, 
is an order of operation. They followed God, and then God changed them. It's never the other way around. In order of operation, if you're following instructions, now I realize men, instructions are things that you get when you buy something new, and, and the piece of paper that comes, you normally take it and throw it away. I realize that. But if you happen to follow instructions, and you go through the list of instructions, and if you skip a step, you wonder, why is this not working? If you were to follow directions, and the directions were turn left, then right, then turn left, then second turn left, turn right, and all these various things back and forth, and you skip a step, you're going to be totally lost and out of order. Well, in the same way, in the way that God works in our hearts and our lives, He gives us an order of operation. It starts off with He changes us on the inside, and then begins to change us on the outside. It's never Ever, he changes you on the outside to make you good enough to be changed on the inside. That's not the way the order of operation works. He changes you, he molds you and shapes you, and then guides you along to willingly make the change on the outside. It's never forced. This morning, I'm going to talk about that order of operation in a practical way. What we're going to do is we're going to go back to what the Bible teaches in those verses and make some application for us in our lives. And you uh, realize who your sphere of influence is, the people that you know, the people you care for, the people that, that you will bump into, whether they're strangers or whether they're or, or close acquaintances. You re- recognize that you have the ability to be an example to others, both people within the church, but also people outside of the church. So first of all, what we've seen, the point number one, it's inside And what does the changing on the inside on point number one? It is God's word. And it says in verse number six, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That word received the word has a double meaning. Received has the understanding of accepting. In fact, if you look up the original Greek, that literally means to accept. It's not forced upon. It's received and accepted. So you receive the word. There's double meaning there. First of all, the first meaning is you receive the word of God as in the Bible. What is God teaching us in the Bible? The second word with the double meaning is Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter number one, Jesus is described. It says, in the beginning was the word. That's talking about Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. And it goes on, verse number four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. So it starts off with that order of operation, the changing on the inside. He changes us by receiving the word of God as truth and receiving Jesus Christ. And of course, when we receive Jesus Christ, there's a whole lot of things. We don't just receive him and go, I know who he is. It's a a matter of placing our trust upon him as savior turning away from ourselves and turning away from our sin and saying, I am going to let Jesus come and clean me. I'm going to let Jesus come and use the Bible word, save me. And it results in joy, the joy of salvation. When those who were being baptized were standing at the front, I I mentioned the fact that when they placed their trust upon Christ as their Savior, there was no halo over their head. There was no big fireworks. But something miraculous had happened on the inside. And then in time, God begins to change them on the outside. 
the moment of salvation, and I'm just going to scratch the surface of this, but I hope this is an encouragement to you. We recognize at the moment of salvation, a number of things take place. Sometimes when people receive that gift of salvation, they pray a prayer, but the prayer doesn't save them. It's the belief in their heart that saves them. And at that moment of salvation, and theologians literally write volumes of books to try to understand the exact moment of when it happens. Be honest with you, as a child, when I place my trust upon Christ as my Savior, I don't care what exact moment it happened. I'm just glad it happened. And at that moment of salvation, several things take place. The Bible says that our sins are forgiven. The Bible describes being called not guilty. It's a declaration like a judge saying, you are declared not guilty. That's at the moment of salvation. The the Bible gives the analogy of taking our sin and buried in the deepest part of the ocean. Basically, God's saying, I'm taking your sin and totally forgetting about it. No one's going to bring it up because I'm forgetting about it. Or another analogy, it says, it takes it as far as the east is from the west. It takes it and just, it's gone. He takes our sinfulness and our goodness in ourself and he says that they're like filthy rags and he turns them into white as snow and he makes us pure and clean at the moment of salvation. Also at the moment of salvation, the Bible teaches in the book of Ephesians that he seals us with the Holy Spirit. That's another way of saying he's putting his stamp on them and say, uh, us and saying, He's one of ours, or she's one of ours. In a positive way, I bought and paid for her salvation. He's been sealed. With that, we have security. And the, the analogy that Jesus gives is that God is holding us in his hand. And the beautiful picture he gives, he says, no one. And you know what it means by no one? It means no one. No one is able to snatch you out of my father's hand. Now, I'm pretty strong but you could tickle me and I'd let go pretty quick. But no one's going to be able to snatch you out of God's hand. He's holding on to you. You know what's beautiful? You're not holding on to him. You've accepted that wonderful free gift of salvation and he's holding on to you. If it was up to us to hold on to him, we would let go, we would fail, we wouldn't be good enough, we'd get cold and we'd get tired, but he's holding on to us. He's the one that's forgiven us. He's the one that's sealed and stamped us and says, they belong to me. me." He's the one that's secured. And as a result of that, we are called children of God in the book of John chapter 1. We're part of God's family. And Jesus has a book in heaven, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. And in heaven, when one person comes into Christ as their Savior, the Bible says, the Lamb's Book of Life, your name is written in that book. And the beautiful picture it gives is that it's not just a book where he writes you in in pencil because you could get rubbed out. Or it could fade over time. He writes it in the, most, the best quality, Sharpie that's never, ever going to go out. And he goes, no one's going to blot you out or rub you out. No one's going to rub you up because the book belongs to me. It's my book. And also in heaven, the Bible says in the book of Luke, 
that the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. So the moment of salvation, all of these things happen. Our sins are forgiven. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're secure in our relationship with God. Our name is written down, and a party goes on in heaven with the angels over every single person that comes to know Christ. Can you imagine the, the party that's constantly going on in heaven? And as a result of that, we are was referred to justified. We are 100% justified, saved by God's grace through faith. That's what happens on the inside. And admittedly, I'm just scratching the surface. And as I'm continuing to study and to learn the things of God, it gives me a hunger to learn more. But you know what? Thank God we don't have to know everything in order to receive that gift. We just need to know enough that we have a God who loves us, a sin that separates us, and we have a Savior that, who died on the cross for us, that we can receive that free gift of salvation. That's the change on the inside. As a result, remember the order of operation? As a result, He begins to change you on the outside. You begin to look differently. Your priorities begin to change. You become a better husband, a better wife. Uh, and, and in a wonderful way, it comes about with, the second point is, on the outside. So he changes us on the inside and then begins to change us on the outside. In verse number eight, he uses the word faith. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that you, we need not say anything. That word faith, in that particular way, in the particular word that's used for faith in that passage, has the understanding and the meaning of to be persuaded. Because of what's happened on the inside, I am now persuaded to live differently. Notice it doesn't say, it doesn't say coerced. It doesn't say you were forced to live life differently. We were persuaded. And it's a work of God. It's not in order to hold on to him. In the book of Philippians, chapter number 2, verse number 13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this is a God working in our hearts and our lives. Remember earlier when I started with the New Year's resolution? And we started off with the statement of, I will. I will start doing this. I will stop doing that. And we were going to turn that around and begin to use the phrase, God is. In other words, where is God working? How is God molding and shaping? And join Him in that work. Because we recognize it's a work of God in our life. Do you know how much pressure that takes off of me to be good enough? Or to be smart enough? Or just to, to know all the answers. We're going to see four things in this passage. They're all E's. First of all, it's an example. In verse number 7 it says, You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. That example there is that someone's watching you. A number of years ago, like a number of years ago, when I was in year seven in school, we had some amazing school teachers that I don't know how and why they th thought this was a good idea, but they took about 70 year sevens on a bus, like a Greyhound style bus from Perth across the country to Sydney and Canberra for two weeks to visit Parliament House and visit Sydney. Like looking back, like, there's no way I'd do that with your kids. <laughs> As a child, it was a great experience. 
And there's one thing, as I was studying this out, this word example, a, a memory came to my mind. Me and some friends were in Darling Harbor on an evening, and our teacher was across the way in a food court, just watching us as we were playing. And we were running up the escalator the wrong way, a run, running down when it was supposed to go up and up when it was supposed to go down, because we were kids and we were silly 12-year-olds. My teacher called us over, and so I thought, oh, no, we're in trouble. And we weren't. But he says, you see that lady over there with that little kid? And it was a young child that this mother was with. And he said, the mother just told her child, see those boys over there? Don't do that. And I remember that being years later. We're an example. We didn't mean to be an example. But some little boy was taught, don't run up the escalators. We're always an example. Parents, someone is going to raise your children. Someone is influencing you and guiding and an example your children. And if it's not you, then who will it be? And it's easy to pick on TV and TikTok and all the other things. But we realize all around us, everywhere our children go, everywhere we go, we're being influenced. So therefore, are we being an example or are others being an example to us that we're following? Who's following who? There's an old saying. You know, what comes around and goes around. And people say things like rubbish in and rubbish out. Which, you know what? It's exactly true with our spiritual lives. Who is being an example to you? And who are you being an example? If someone was to describe your example, let me ask you, your neighbor, the one that hears everything that you say to your children, the one, because it's summertime, we have our windows open at night, that hears what you talk about and how you talk to your spouse? Are you being an example? I'm just putting that out there hypothetically and naturally. First of all, example. Secondly, we have the word evangelist. Verse number eight says, not only were they local, it says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, that's where they were. That was their own local region. And then, and also in Achaia. And Achaia was just south in, in Greece. And then it says, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. There's no such thing as a private faith. That word in that passage, and I have it underlined on the screen, is the word sounded forth has the understanding and literal meaning of a trumpet blasting. In Israel, on the Temple Mount, when they would call people to worship, and there's a number of different sacrifices that would take place and on the Sabbath day and various things to proclaim the beginning and the end of various things, they would proclaim it with a trumpet sounding. And they would have different noises. and They would stand up and the whole city would know that th this was being proclaimed like an evangelist. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of, of WA history here, okay? And forgive me if you've migrated to Australia in the last uh, 15 years or so, or you've moved from another state. There's a man named Luigi. Okay, by your laughter, I would suggest that some of you know who that is. Other of you, others of you are going, what are they talking about? There was a store. There was a child. was a fun store to walk through called WA Salvage. And W.A. Salvage had been around, you do some research, it's actually been around for a long time, through the 70s and 80s and 90s, and finally closed down in 2006. And my childhood, all the time, particularly during cartoon time, you'd have the ads for W.A. Salvage. And there was a man named Luigi, 
And Luigi, as his real name was Luigi, would talk about the excitement. He would say, oh, the lowest price is not here. And do you remember what he would say? Save for the money. And he would say, we're not fancy, but we're cheap. And you see, you remember that, and I have a little, here's a little video for you. I just, I shortened it, but just, just to reminisce for a moment. It's true. Low prices stop the NWA salvage. I assure you. PVC soak wells are $14.40. Buy two or more and get 10% off. That is the lowest price in town. And remember, low prices stop the NWA salvage. We're not fancy, but we're cheap. <laughs> now, I realize if you, you didn't grow up in WA, there's no nostalgia there. Can you imagine him as an evangelist for W.A. Salvage, in a sense, going, take it or leave it? Or, I actually don't want to talk about it at all. It's private. <laughs> he would be a horrible salesman. And we're not called to be salesmen. But we are called to be evangelists. We're called to go out and proclaim. Years later, we remember him. We remember his statements. You know, we're not fancy, but we're cheap. It's like that was stuck in my brain as a child. That's the sort of evangelism or proclamation that we should be as a local church. So therefore, we have not only are we called to be an example, we're called to be an evangelist. And then third is that we're called to be an encouragement. It says in verse number nine, for they themselves report. That's the key word, Report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There's an encouragement in our testimony. The word testimony is another it's a kind of a, a word we often use, and we think about it like a courtroom testimony. But in re, the other thought behind that word testimony is, what's your story? What has God done in your life? Verse number nine, uh, there's a picture on the screen of a man named Joey. It says, for they themselves report concerning us. People are talking. That man Joey, Joey Candillo, he's a pastor in, in the U.S. state of Missouri in, in an area called Kansas City. And when I went, left Australia and went to the U.S. to go to Bible college, he was in Bible college at the same time. There was something different about him. But it was different in the way that he just didn't fit in the mold. And I didn't know anyone or anything. I must say the first year and a half of being in the U.S., I was just confused the whole time I was there. All I knew was he always bucked the trend a little bit. He was pushing the boundaries of various things, and he just wasn't fitting in the mold of what we all were supposed to look like as first year and second year Bible college students. And then I talked with Joey, and I heard his story. And Joey, honestly, didn't walk up and say, hello, hey, and tell his whole story. You had to get to know him a little bit. But he shared his story. You see, 18 months earlier, he was in prison for, for doing and selling drugs. And he miraculously, and God worked in his heart and his life, came to know Christ as his Savior, directly out of drug addiction and basically failing out of school. He goes and he says, I believe God wants me to be a preacher or be a pastor, so therefore, what do I do? And his pastor said, well, you need to go to Bible college. So he says, okay, I will. And he just didn't fit in the box. And he's done really, really well and has been faithful over the number of last number of years. And he started 10 years ago, like this week or last week, they, they started a church in Kansas City called Grace Church. And he pr predominantly works with people, but everyone's welcome, but their focus is on people that suffer with addictions. 
and they have a recovery groups and they have a recovery house and God is working in Joey's life in a really miraculous way. And when you hear his story, it says, if God can do something in his life, maybe he can do something in my life too. If God can mold and shape and change him, maybe he can too. And I'll admit, I don't think Joey walks around as proud of his past in the sense of, oh, that was great. I love drugs. But he also looks back and goes, but God can take that brokenness. In fact, he ended up writing a book, and the book's title is God Uses Broken Vessels. God takes things that are broken and molds and shapes them, mends them, and makes them useful again. That's our testimony. We also see the change. In verse number 9, the second part of verse number 9 says, They turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There's three things we see there. They turned, remember that order of operation? They turned to God. They turned away from idols. And they turned to serve the living and true God. You see that on the screen is a picture of Mount Olympus. If you're anyway familiar with Greek mythology, Mount Olympus is very important in Greek mythology. The area in Thessalonica in Macedonia is about 80 kilometers from Mount Olympus. And the way it's understood is on clear days, you can clearly see Mount Olympus. Thessalonica as a city was the head of that province. And it was a very wealthy city. It was a seaport. A lot of things went through there. Roads went through there. It was a, had a lot of influence. You could see the, the pride in saying, look at us. We are from Thessalonica. We are close to our false gods, our idols. Look at us. We're just up the road from Mount Olympus. And all the things that would have been part of the, who they were and their natural human identity was wrapped up in their false religion. And the scripture with that order of operation, it says they turned to God. As a result of that, you can't turn to God and also to your idols. So they turned away from their idols and they turned to serve the living and true God. There was change in their life as a result. And finally, we see expectation. That's our fourth E. Because God was working on their outside, now they had an expectation of what was going to happen in the future. But we're going to talk about some of these things more in depth later on in the year. But the, in a sense, the Apostle Paul gives a little teaser in chapter number one. And he says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That word wait, no one enjoys waiting. You go to a waiting room and no one goes, oh, may I please stay longer? But that word wait actually means expectation or anticipation. What are you waiting for with expectation and anticipation? On the screen is a picture. You may not be able to work it out, but if you've been there before, you may recognize that that is from Adventure World. And there's a ride at Adventure World called Kraken which is a tremendous four-person water slide. You go down, a big loop down. But in order to get there, you have to walk up a long hill, and then you can't see because you have to go up and around a corner, and then you see the line. And on a hot day, you have people walking up the hill. And I'll be honest with you, and this is purely hypothetical on my part. I'm sure I don't do this in reality, but when you're already up there halfway through the line, you've already been there for 45 minutes, you still have 45 minutes to go, 
seeing someone else walk up the hill and seeing their face go, oh, is satisfying. <laughs> because you know what they have to do to wait. And when you're halfway through the line, to be honest with you, you think this line will never end, particularly when you take young children, trying to entertain them. It's like, just be quiet. And you're standing there awkward as you move slowly along the line. And then when you come to the last little bit, when you know it's kind of your turn coming up, you know, there's only a couple rides left and then it's your turn. The whole attitude changes. It goes from being, ugh, to being, are you ready? Get ready. We're, we're, we're next. And they t- make you get in groups of four, so you kind of arrange yourself. And of course, then if there's an odd person, you get that odd person in to fill it up, which is always awkward when you're sitting around with a stranger. You're standing there, and there's a whole different sense of anticipation when it's your turn next. You know what the Apostle Paul was saying 2,000 years ago? He was, he was talking about Jesus coming back. The rapture of the church and Jesus Christ coming back to, to call his church and the excitement of the future and the end times. He's saying, we have an expectation that's going to be contagious. We have something to look forward to, bigger and greater than ourselves. So as a local church, we have a tremendous responsibility to be influencers in our outside world. We must allow God to change us on the inside, and then from that, change us on the outside. And we're all doing that at different levels. And different. Some of you have known Christ as your Savior for many years and you're further along in the Christian life. Some of you are brand new and you're hungry and you're learning and you're, and you're changing. But we're all called to change and grow. And to go back to that statement by Henry Blackaby again, it says, recognize where God is working and join him in that work. My challenge to you, and I hope that in, a, in the kindest way, that statement bothers you this week. And you see things taking place this week and you recognize, that's God working. I want to get involved in that. It changes our motivation for service. It changes our motivation for giving. It changes our motivation for many aspects because God is changing us on the outside because he's already changed us on the inside. So as you go out this week, we have an exciting call to live life differently on the inside and also on the outside.